Hey everyone, welcome to Handing the Shame Back, a channel dedicated to survivors of child sexual abuse all across the world. We have chosen to set this channel up as a supportive environment for you, beautiful ones, to be able to share your stories and equally learn from each other because that's where the gift lies. As with all guests, I always issue a trigger warning. What you may hear may trigger you and I don't want you upset or, or anxious. So if that happens, please stop watching, go to the show notes below and you'll be directed to some help and resource. In the meantime, I have a wonderful guest for you today. Her name is Gigi Kilrow. I love the name already. Wait till you meet her. She's a survivor, she's a speaker, she's an advocate, and she's an author. And we're going to talk to her today in part one about what she experienced in her childhood regarding child sexual abuse. Gigi, welcome to the show. Gloria, thank you so much for having me. This is such an honor. I can't even tell you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, look, the the honor is ours. But I guess as with all shows, we're starting with, you know, as much as you're comfortable to share what your experience of childhood sexual abuse is or was and kind of what age were you when all of this began? It's so interesting because when I share my story, I often say that now, one of the first things I experienced as a, as a child was that I lost my mother to cancer when I was only five. And so I am someone who never had that mother to help me through everything that I was going through. But in my situation, um, I had a half brother who was 13 years older than I was. <clears throat> and um, I didn't know that I had repressed memories of sexual abuse from the time I was four. It lasted about a year. Um, and it's so interesting because I had heard the term repressed memories. I never even thought about it, but I, I will just start off by saying that all of my life, there was something about having any kind of contact with him that just made my skin crawl. Um, and I, you know, we know now that children sometimes when situations are so traumatic and so horrific, it's not uncommon for them to block them. Um, uh, what came to light in later years was that I, he began molesting me when I was four. And, um, like I said, I, I blocked it, um, and it didn't surface for me, um, until I was 54 years old. Um, and I can remember when I started to seek help, I wanted so much to have the opportunity to speak with anyone who had a similar situation and I could never find anyone. But anyway, I'll tell you what that has done to me. Um, so my entire life, it made me always feel like I was never good enough. I was never enough. I was never smart enough. I was never pretty enough. I was never, whatever it was, I never felt like I was enough. I would constantly compare myself to other girls. I wish I looked like her, those kinds of things. I had no self-esteem. And I, I had this self-hatred, Gloria, all of my life, and I never knew why. I just, I didn't know why. And so I would search for happiness in things outside of myself, like makeup and earrings and, you know, changing my hair color. Like I was always looking for something on the outside 
to fill that void. And it, it makes me so sad and so angry that that had affected my entire life until I was 54. And so, you know, when, when I when I speak, Laura, I often tell people, you know, if you ever have a child tell you that they're uncomfortable with someone or that someone makes them feel icky, please listen to that because they're trying to tell you something. Um, but can I just ask you, sorry, can sure. I just ask you, thank you so much. You're a little goldmine of information here. Uh, <laughs> just for our, um, yeah, I, I, I was just thinking for our survivors watching, they will so be able to relate to repressed memories because, of course, it's something that a lot of us experience because our mind couldn't couldn't no. with the trauma so of course we buried them but Gigi back yeah. to the reality you I think you said your half-brother was 13 years older than you older mm -hmm. so that made him 17 when he was abusing yes. you old enough to yes. know exactly what he was doing absolutely secondly your mother died at when you were five five so mm -hmm. the year before she died he started abusing you um yes what can you recall whether you were ever able to indicate to anybody around any adult or what no. you um, yourself doing around that situation? You know, what's so interesting is um, my mother, like I said, was very ill and my father um, had taken a job because he had to. It was like six hours away. So he was only home every other weekend. So basically, my brother was left to care for me while our mother was in bed dying. And, um, you know, and then at some point, her mother came to live with us. And from what I remember, I think that's when it stopped. But that's such an amazing question that you ask is, you know, I've had I've had people say to me, why didn't you say anything? Oh, my God. You know, first of all, a four year old doesn't have the language. And second of all. You know, we know that 95% of people that are harmed are harmed by someone that they know. You know, you you assume that your family will protect you. You assume that your big brother is going to protect you. And I know when I grew up, Lori, we were always taught about stranger danger. You know, the stranger, you know, the person that would chase you down the hallway or chase you down the alley late at night, that's the person that would hurt you. 95% of the time, we are harmed by someone that we know and someone we should be able to trust, you know, we, we should be able to trust. I'll tell you, when I when things started coming up for me, I will say, you know, my dad, who was a, a love, just he was my hero, which I'll get to later. But um, I have a lot of photographs of, of growing up. And there is one particular photo, Gloria, that has haunted me my whole life. I would I looked at this little girl and there was something in her eyes and it always bothered me. Now I understand that that photo was taken at the exact time I was being molested. And I look at that little girl and today I want to hug her and I want to hold her and I want to tell her that she's okay, that, that it's okay. You know, and I think for me, that was such, such a validation of that particular time period. I mean, I look like I'm heartbroken. You know, a four-year-old child is supposed to be full of awe and wonder and joy and like I said, all of my life, that picture just pierced through my heart. And, and now I know why. Of course you do. And look, um, the question really is because what you'll notice, and for our beautiful survivors watching, hello, everyone, 
um, what we notice is that it is it is ninety percent more likely that a child will never try and tell anybody. That's how high exactly. those stats. Only ten percent of children from some of the research I've seen will ever ever attempt. So mm -hmm. the question is not did you ever try and tell anyone. The question is mm -hmm. what did you notice really around your behaviour um, around yeah. your brother when your mother was you know, she was present or when your dad was present, did you notice anything around you as the darling wee four-year-old? Um, I just felt even repulsed, I think is a good word, yeah. at that age. is and, and what, you know, how that affected me is I have struggled in intimate relationships with men. And it's interesting because after my mom passed, you know, my, my dad was left with all of this debt and he had a chance to work overseas to pay off the debt. And he moved me, he, he left after my mom passed that summer, he moved me to my grandmother's house about six miles away and cut ties with my brother. Now, I will tell you, Gloria, I don't think my father knew for sure, because I think if he did, he would have hurt him. But I think he suspected. I, I truly, truly do. What makes and, you um, bad, Gigi? What would you mind? Well, I, my father was a very loving, jovial, great person, and he loved everybody. And the fact that he moved me out of that apartment in the middle of the night and left my half brother behind, now I've I figured out that I think he just he wanted to get me out of there. And you know, back that was back in the early '60s when things weren't even talked about. You know, they're talked about now. And they, they, unfortunately, they still happened. But back then, you didn't, you didn't talk. And my family was Irish, and you know, we, we don't, they didn't talk about things. You just didn't talk about things. But I remember I was probably about eight years old, and I remember my grandmother and my aunt were in the kitchen, and there was a swinging door that was closed. And I remember my grandmother saying to my aunt in a whisper tone, she said, "I'm so worried about Gigi. She's so afraid of men. The only man she wants to be around is her father." which tells me whether my grandmother suspected anything at the time. But so that shows you. And I remember as a child, I didn't want to be around men. You know, I was very blessed that my my dad was wonderful. And I I call him my hero because I think he saved me. I don't think he whether he knew consciously, subconsciously, whatever. But Gloria, I'm I'm convinced and, and I lost him. He passed away in 2005. But I'm truly convinced that he got me away from my abuser. I really do. I'm that, so pleased to hear that because often the case is that you are still left in the family home, and I guess that would explain yeah. why there were uh, the abuse went on for that twelve month period, and obviously yes. into when you got removed. Yes. Did yes. you ever have uh, contact or connection at all with your step? Brother or your half brother from that point on? Well, you know what's interesting is he would call my grandmother's house once a while, and my grandmother would be very annoyed that he would call, you know. And um it's funny because I I'm a very warm and loving and huggy kind of person, but I always, like I said, there was always something that I would never allow myself to get close to him. I didn't really include him in my life. I mean, all those, all those kinds of things. And I only saw him a couple of times. But you see, in, in my case, because I was so young when I lost my mother, I wanted to know who she was. 
And he was the one person that knew because he was, you know, he was a senior in high school and I was in first grade. So, you know, I wanted to know things like, you know, what made her laugh and what was her perfume and, you know, all those kinds of things that a little girl wants to know about her mom of course. that I never knew. But every time we would talk on the phone, Gloria, he would say things like, I love you so much. I wish I could hug and kiss you like I did when you were little. I think about you every day. Now, I'm sorry. Those are not typical things that a brother says to a sister. And again, it always made me feel icky. It just, before the, before the abuse came to light, it was always a feeling of he made my skin crawl. And I couldn't understand that. I wanted a relationship with my brother. You know, we shared the same mother. But Gloria, I just couldn't do it. I, no. There was something inside of me that just could not do it. Well, now I know. So, so I, little I just, yeah, and I just, I just want to stop you there because I, you, you've got so much to share. I, I just want to use what you're saying here to help our beautiful audience, because what you're saying is so powerful. Audience, you guys know as well. Your instinct is never wrong. Gigi's instinct was. It yes. makes my skin crawl. I don't want to be around him. There's no part of him. I he makes me feel icky. All of those things are what we had as children, as survivors. Yes. So thank you for yes. raising that because I think what happens is even today we have children out there who can't put into words because they're they're only little, bliss, but they feel icky around that person. Or they yeah. don't want to be, or they're a bit frightened. And I think mm -hmm. when is it time, Gigi, for us as the adults and the parents and the grandparents to actually start listening to our children yes. or noticing? Yes. Yes. noticing. Absolutely, because little children especially, you know, and it's, it's, it's amazing because I'll often find myself studying little girls I see in public that are about four years old. And I, I look at their behaviors and I look at their, and I think to myself, that was me. Like, it's almost like when you can, when you can look at yourself at whatever age the abuse was and you kind of, you can kind of study, you know, uh, the behavior of children, you know, you know, that are in it, that are in happy situations and loved and, and there is no abuse happening. And then you realize, you know, what you were through and how, you know, those experiences as children, they, they, they're with us forever. You know, we know that. I mean, I feel very blessed that I, that I'm in the place that I am with my healing, but you know, it doesn't go away. It, it becomes part of who you are. And, you know, and I think I had shared with you before, in my case, I turned to food as a comfort. You know, the, the last time I saw my mom, she was in the hospital, they brought her food in. Um, and I can remember, and again, five, I was five then. Five-year-olds have what we call magical thinking, where when, you five, when you're five, you think that if you say something, you can do something, it's going to change everything. So this little five-year-old, I thought that if I ate all the food on her tray, I could make her better. Aww. But sadly, Gloria, for me, that was actually the first day of my food addiction, because what I learned in that day was when I would feel full physically, I didn't have to feel any painful emotions. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And that food addiction carried for 50 years in my life, you know. And and you, you know, you raised life. another really valuable point because you know, for our, our wonderful survivors 
we tend to try and avoid pain. Yes. Either avoid pain or head to pleasure. And I, I think what you're saying, Gigi, I too had a food addiction and I totally relate. So thank you for your um, transparency and, and heartfelt honesty. It's so appreciated. And for our survivors, oh. you know, you guys, you've had addictions too, and some of you may still be struggling. And I just want to give you permission that all you're doing is avoiding the pain, and I totally support whatever it is you needed to get through. I think, Absolutely. I, and I think, Gigi, what you're saying is, you know, you you had such a whammy. You had, you had a triumvirate, really. You had your beautiful mum was so unwell with cancer. Your half brother, decide a young adult actually decided yes. to take it full advantage of that situation when you were in the home yes. while your mother was in a bed, trying yes. to deal with cancer. And then the third whammy was you had dad absent for you know twelve out of fourteen days, but the point being. He then removed you from everything you knew. So even though you were removed, thank heavens you were taken. Thank God. Oh, away. Yes. But you were yes. also removed from everything you knew. Yes. Yes. And my grandmother was 72 years old when I went to live with her and I was five. Wow. I think that's remarkable. I think that is remarkable. I mean, I, Gloria, I'll be 64 in a couple of months and I'm tired. And I can't imagine having a five-year-old now. I mean, she was amazing. And that also made me feel different, though, because at that time period, my friends had two parents. They had siblings. They had, like, the typical family life. And I kind of stuck out because I didn't have that. You know, now, I I mean, thank God I had her. And I have to, I have to tell you this. Your, our audience will laugh. She was not very demonstrative. I know she loved me, and she had a great sense of humor. But I would say to her, Graham... I love you. And she'd say, it's reciprocal. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I still have friends to this day where we'll either be on the phone or texting and one of us will say, I love you. And the other one will say, it's reciprocal. <laughs> Isn't that cute? <laughs> but don't well, we love what, right? We love her. We love her because what a life. Oh. She was a lifesaver. And I'll tell you what, she was my model of what a strong woman looks like because she had lost her husband when she was only 59. She took on this little five-year-old who was just lost and she was amazing. I mean, I, I was very grateful. I knew I was loved. She didn't say it, but I knew it, you know, you but felt I felt it. it. You but felt it. Yes. I felt it. I felt absolutely. Absolutely. So did you so, stay with her? How, how old were you when you left her care? I, I lived with her from the time I was five, um, and she passed away when I was 23. So I had been through college and had taken a job, uh, and she sadly, unfortunately, ended up at a nursing home. She lived to be just shy of 90, you know, but she, I'll tell you what, that strong Irish woman that raised me has been a presence in my life every day, and I'm so grateful that I had her, very grateful that I had her. She was my dad's mom, you know. The progress that, you know, she and my dad had the greatest sense of humor. And when someone tells me that I have a sense of humor like my dad, it's the best compliment I can have. Because, you know, what I also learned in my life is, you know, going through everything we've been through, you have to find the joy in your life. You have to find it because it's not all 
saying, you know, trying to heal, trying to heal, you've got to find those moments that touch your soul and bring you joy. We just, we have to find them. Yes. And we we have to also be um, available to notice them because I think as survivors, you know, the it, what we notice survivors don't we is that we can keep ourselves incredibly busy and achieve an incredible amount but oh, absolutely it distracts us from just mm-hmm. being and mm-hmm. I, I think that's really powerful for you Gigi did you ever see your half-brother again the last time I saw him um he was in the hospital and um i this is be this is be prior to everything evolving coming up for me and i went to see him something inside of me said you just have to go he lives you know 7 hours away you know i went to visit him and you know just to share quickly that i had always suspected that our mother had been molested by her older brother because of a conversation i heard was of a, and when i was a child and that always stuck with me it just so I asked him point blank, his wife was not there. It was just Tina in the room. And I asked him, do you think uncle so-and-so hurt mom? And Gloria, that's when he looked at me and he said, well, you said that incest between a brother and a sister was okay. And I just looked at him and then he said, well, I figured if mom found out she would cut me up and put me in garbage bags. And Gloria, that's when, when I, when I tell you the air left the room, and my life stopped, it, it it stopped. And I, just to tell you quickly, I very calmly said I have to go, and I do not remember driving the seven hours home. It is truly by the grace of God I didn't have a car accident. And I'll tell you, when I got home, I locked every door, I locked every window, and that was the moment that I thought to myself, you know what, as human beings, the first need I feel we have is the, is the need to feel safe. And I didn't feel safe. And I didn't know if I was ever going to feel safe again. And so for me, that was like the the door of all those repressed memories. And everyone's different. I know that. But for me, it would be just like a little flash of something. And it's almost like I was watching it happen. You know, little things like that would, would come up. And I realized, Gloria, that that was what I buried for 50 years. That was what affected my entire life from my self-hatred to my fear of men, to my, you know, not so great relationships with men, to my depression, my anxiety, my eating disorder. You know, I I had a a successful career as a special education teacher and a special education supervisor. I was always the one that was there to support people, help people, but I didn't know how to help myself. Right. And that's a perfect place for us to end this part just remember that thought gg because this is now end of part one for us so please just just stay right there um audience you know this woman is just going to keep giving us amazing (laughs) amazing (laughs) insights and things to work with and look i'm not laughing at what she went through i'm very um very humbled by gg actually and what she's sharing with us and a 
couple of things have, have stuck to mind already. One is instinct, and as children, we all, including you, had instincts. And I think it's just really important that we value that in our young ones and that we honour that in ourselves because we always knew. Second thing she mentioned was uh, the repressed memories. And I think, you know, thank God we had minds that did that because it was clearly too much for us to deal with. So as always, lovely ones, we are going to have part two. Don't go anywhere, but come back in a couple of days because part two will be up and you'll be able to see what Gigi had to deal with, how she overcame it, and, and some wonderful ideas for you as the audience. So please, always remember, I see you, I stand beside you, and I believe you.